Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, bots and cons to Tech Talk, the officially unofficial Transformers TCG podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Scott of VectorSigma.info. And Scott, we have a uh, a smorgasbord of stuff to go over this week. Yeah, definitely. Some interesting topics. Yeah, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We have uh, some interesting previews that we're going to get to in the second half of this. But first up, there's actually some interesting uh, Vector Sigma news, Scott, that I'm going to throw up a, a quick link here in the uh, overlay so that everybody who's on video can see it. But Scott, tell us a little bit about the, the news that's coming out of Vector Sigma. So um, in response to... Uh the increased organized play that's that's uh, starting to go on from the company perspective as well as i mean we still have yet to get confirmation but it sounds like um larger scale events that are going to be going on during the convention season we're just waiting on the specifics we felt it was time to um to launch a patreon uh for the site so basically we've operated uh, not we but i mean like the site's existed since a week before the game came out which is now over six months um so, I mean, we, we, we wanted that time to feel out like where we felt like our place was, uh, within the, within the games community and, um, you know, what we had to offer, uh, as players and as a team, uh, to people. So, um, we kind of made a conscious decision going into 2019 that we wanted to ramp up our content offerings. So, um, that's why we started a YouTube channel. Um, was to be able to, as a brand, have daily Transformers uh, TCG content between um, website articles um, as well as uh, YouTube videos, uh, as well as, like, you know, just whatever might be going on that day that's not um, 100% relevant or whatever. But, but we wanted to make sure there was something daily that we could uh, contact people about. So, you know, having a site, having, having a, you know, video content, isn't isn't free so um you know sites have fees there's there's a lot of time and effort that goes into a lot of this um between you know things like this things like um writing things like paying for site fees things like paying for um cameras and stuff and i I think a big part of it is also um you know by by having content and by looking at things through certain lenses I, i think it kind of at times can take away from the ability to just sit back and enjoy the game at times so it's just kind of extra incentive for us to want to build an additional community that wants to improve their uh competitive output so you know what we decided to do with patreon was basically uh, offer it's really offer i guess i would say i mean there's five tiers on the patreon but like in reality i look at it like there's um there's three real tiers, in my opinion, not counting like, hey, we just appreciate your work. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one's <laughs> I guess that's just there. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's basically like um, the first tier is essentially just different ways that you communicate with us, whether it's through Discord or whether it's through uh, like Discord solely or whether it's through um, a secret Facebook group where we post the full entire deck list that we plan to play as well as, um, you know, the iterations that they've gone through explanations to why we're playing them in that way, um, et cetera. And then that's, that's the way I look at it is that's all basically one tier, even though they are split. Like it's, um, 
different amount of money to get into the Facebook group because it's a more organized fashion than it is to be in the Discord just because of the way that information gets organized. Yeah, chat rooms. I mean, Discord is great. I mean, we we use it for the show, but (laughs) chat rooms are not a great communication method all the time, and that's kind of what it is mostly. Right, so the Facebook allows us to organize, like, if we just want to talk about Deck A, there's a post on Deck A. And, like, yeah, it consolidates it in different times, it. and, like, you can still right. keep discussing that one thing. So it just keeps the – instead of having, like, a billion chat rooms, it just keeps the thing a little more organized. Right. Um, but we are giving out, like I said, the like, deck I'm going to run next time I go to a tournament will be there. So, like, you know, it's not like I'm hiding behind um, anything. Not that I really always do, but I'm talking, like, the full – as far as I, you know, until unless I change something the day of or something like that, and it won't be done that way on purpose, just to avoid this situation. Um, yeah, I mean, it's you know, one of those things. You're you're a human. You're allowed to <laughs> make yeah. a, an eleventh hour call. Yeah. Um, one thing that I I wanted to call out, and you, I think you had said it earlier in the the beginning of the explanation, Scott, but it definitely is on the actual write up, which the link is what I I put up in the overlay for everybody to see in the actual announcement, and obviously you can get to it from vectorsigma.info itself but the intent moving forward scott is just to or can you explain a little bit more about the intent for how the content that we're already producing is going to exist post this there'll be no change whatsoever um, exactly I mean, like if you if you've been a fan of what you're listening to or what you're reading it's all going to remain the same um the same daily content is going to be there there's no content being hidden behind a paywall the way i look at it this is you're basically helping us as a group grow as well as yourself. And you're getting unprecedented access to people's knowledge, like on a real time basis. Um, I'm not usually a hard person to get a hold of, but like, I, I mean, I only have so many hours in the day and I'm, I have to, if I have to prioritize who I'm going to interact with, unfortunately, I just, I basically, that's the way I see the game going. Like I see, grow and the competitive scene is going to grow i i just feel like the group that we've built our time is going to be pulled in different directions and i don't mind interacting with a bunch of different people it's just that if i have to prioritize who i'm going to talk to this is just one way uh, of doing that i just feel like by building the community in this way together um and helping everybody out um it'll move from there the, the one thing i didn't mention is the tier above that is a full-on coaching tier so like i don't plan to like you know, like we can, we can talk through moves. It's, it's, it's sessions per month about like how to like really picking our brains, like sitting down and asking specific questions about what you want to know. And again, like we've, we've solicited for questions on the, on the show and, 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 and you know, we're all fully willing to answer whatever, but this is more of a strategic level. Like how would you play out this matchup? How would you, yeah. why are you playing this card? What do you like explain to me? Why, how you build your deck in this way? And I really don't think it's going to be honestly like, if you were to take in all, I don't know how many millions of hours you and I have put into this now, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, my, my, my thoughts are pretty much out there in public. Like if you were to, honestly, I feel like if you were to like consume everything that I've yeah, just binge everything about <laughs> written anything like that on the game, like you would, you're not going to get that much different uh, information, just more, more targeted information to what you want to hear about. So like, if you need me to go deeper into a point about why I like direct damage, or you want me to go into like, you know, attack orders and things like that, that I think are like 
like the most important parts of the game in a way, like in certain aspects, but that a lot of players play incorrectly. And it takes a lot to, um, to realize that you're making a mistake and why you're making a mistake and explain all that because the game really is a game of inches. I've come to realize that, especially through, um, the last few events and, and, and talking with other people and watching videos online and things like that. Like it doesn't take a whole, um, what seems like an easy win into a, to a loss. Absolutely. So, so that being said, like I believe that there's plenty of room for everybody to improve, myself and the team included, and this will only help everybody. Um, I just think it's a way, like you know, as we get bigger, we're going to be able to give back more. Like if you were to actually go on the Patreon, you see, like I only have one goal up there because I didn't think we were going to get that close to the goal in like 72 hours. But the fact that we have means, All right? And like it's not like a Kickstarter. Like there's not going to be like stretch goals, but I think we need to expand what our offering is mm-hmm. to include other things that'll be obvious in the community whether that's like t-shirts play mats whatever I mean, this is just coming off the top of my head this isn't any oh, yeah. stone. like um so it, it's to build the it's to, in my opinion to build the competitive subset community of this community to begin with so like we're not excluding anybody like i said the, the content is going to remain exactly the same so if you're a fan now there's nothing going to be any different at all um this is just a basically just unprecedented access to us um right in new ways and 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 just saying thanks for the hard work that people put in so exactly so if anybody out there is interested as i said if you're if you're watching the video you can see where to go if you're listening to this on audio then by all means hit up vectorsigma.info there's a link right on there that'll drop you right over to the patreon page uh with all the details that scott was just outlining as well as scott has a a very good write-up explaining well, everything that he just said, but also all the details and the thought behind it. You, if you've read Scott's stuff before, you know the articulation is there. So, <laughs> uh, I guess, I, you know, the one important. thing I left out, I guess, is just that we've been approached by many different, like, you know, secondary market dealers and primary market dealers and things like that. And I've kept mm-hmm. ourselves away from that on purpose and chose to go this route instead. So, yeah. And I think it, I mean, not that I was a decision maker, but it makes sense for many reasons for why the decision was made to go this route yeah i feel like from and just as an aside like from a secondary market perspective i just feel like i I guess i can't really say without i I don't want to sound i don't want to sound too conceited but i feel like things on the site can move the market so i really don't want to be a part of that as to help you you know yeah helping secondary market dealers and speculation and things like that so I just don't feel like that would be right. A responsible take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, any other thoughts on the the Patreon? I'm sure we'll, we'll get a bunch of questions uh, after the show and or people reach out to us or become a patron themselves anyway. But any other thoughts on that before we move on? No, like I said, I mean, it's not like the prices are going to go up, but like I do anticipate that the, um, the emphasis on competitive play will go up from the company's perspective or from third-party perspectives just from conversations i've had or or things that i know that are going on so like i would just say the earlier you get in the more information you're going to have access to and with wave three with the emphasis being put on siege i mean like you can see for example like just look at who has the spoilers i mean look at the websites that are now using and the people that are now using to get this information out there like these are these are these are websites that make ours look like we don't even exist compared like the number of <laughs> right. followers, the number of yeah. hits they get. So like, just, I just imagine that it's going to be reaching more people. And that means there's going to be an outlet for this kind of thing, just because of the type of 
sites that are being used. So I, it just seems to me like with this set, they're really ramping up um, exposure. Yeah, and and so like I think that's only going to help from a competitive level. Are are you cat sitting because uh, they they don't sound normal right now? They're they're growling. Okay, <laughs> it was just a very strange growl. I mean, my dog does make some oddball <laughs> noises sometimes too. So he was right. Okay, reverberating a little weird. <laughs> that that's true. All right, so um. That's the the Patreon. Like I said, definitely check out the website. You can get a link right to it and then uh, read all about it. So moving on from there, one of the other highlights of the day, and I'm going to do the usual thing where I have the rotating top four deck list. But uh, Scott, you took down the most recent case event at top deck. Um, we had a, a notable field, I'm going to call it, because there were some, some irregularities in the deck populations, I guess would be one way to describe it. So the top four, I guess, to to start from there before we get into some of the other points was you winning the day with aerial bots. We had an Insecticons, Metroplex, and um, three wide Optimus. Notably, no Sentinels in the top four, which leads me to my next point where there was a, a veritable swarm of Insecticons, <laughs> especially when compared to previous events. And in speaking with people, it sounded like everybody had the same thought, beat Sentinels. Um, I guess I'll turn it over to you from there, Scott. Any immediate thoughts or any specific things that you want to cover right off the bat from this weekend's event? So it was a smaller turn than usual, and I think a lot of of the players that typically show up weren't able to make it for various reasons, Um, so that's Mm. part of it. And I think that the players... Some of the newer players that did show up are coming from other card games where they're more used to, I guess, gaming the metagame than some other players. Like they didn't just they don't just play what they like. They play with a with the intent. And so they basically looked at the results of recent tournaments and said, Sentinels have been doing well, I'm gonna play something that, that does well against it. Like so it was a conscious decision by those players to try to game the metagame for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um it just happened to be that because a lesser number of players, players that didn't show up would have played Sentinels. Like, because I don't think that would have been the case for at least uh, at least a few of them that I know that didn't weren't able to make it. Um, so in reality, like, I don't know that that was a huge deal. But what just wound up happening is like, what, like thirty to forty percent of the field wound up being on uh, Insecticons, and there was only yeah. one Sentinels that was there. So exactly. Um, and they did kind of cannibalize each other, I guess, as Insecticons are, are going to do to some extent. <laughs> uh, a few of them did prey upon other Insecticon builds. Yeah, I don't know how different the builds were, were from one another. I, I meant more like it, it wasn't that they all dodged each other. It ended up being that I know even round one that there were several of them paired up against each other. So they did kind of weed each other out as the rounds went on. To some extent. Yeah, I'm not. Sur- I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think I played one in round two. Yeah, and then one in the top four. So I, I only, I only played one on the day. Yeah. Um, but no, it was. I mean, I, I would say that even though it was a smaller event, I would say the caliber of the player was was strong. Like, I mean, it was it was a. There were no easy matchups, in my opinion. No, no. No, like completely fresh new player. I'm playing with a starter. That kind of situation. Like, yeah, it no. was all <laughs> like fully vetted decks 
that were that had a place in the meta and all that. So like it was no, it was no easy matchup on the day. I don't I don't think for anybody. Right. It's interesting to me, and that's why I called it a uh, a meta irreg- irregularity. Yeah, can't even get my own words out. Uh, to be perfectly honest, coming into wave two from what we saw in wave one, and even if you look at the various social media groups now, a lot of people are talking about Sentinels, which again feeds this idea of well, I'll play if everybody's talking about Sentinels, I'll play the deck that beats Sentinels, or one of the decks that beats Sentinels. But coming from Wave 1 into Wave 2, I had all along up to this point expected Insecticons to have more of a showing. And it, I don't want to say I'm surprised that it took this long, because a few weeks ago I kind of gave up and said, oh, well, I, I guess no one's ever going to play Bugs. And then, you know, they picked this week to prove me wrong. But my question to you, Scott, is it, you had mentioned it earlier in your initial thoughts about the event. As a general idea... Do you feel it's appropriate to try and take this route to say, oh, well, everywhere I see people have Sentinels popping up in the conversation. So the natural assumption is Sentinels must be everywhere. I'll play something to beat Sentinels. Do you feel that that in general is an appropriate strategy? If you feel comfortable with the decks that do well against it, more comfortable with that deck than or no less comfortable with that deck than anything else, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. I still think you, because I still think, and I, you can see this because we have full coverage of the event on the YouTube channel. Like, yep. you, there's you, you can tell the familiarity with a deck makes more of a of an impact than the the pure power level of the deck. Um, assuming we're starting from a equal, assuming we're starting from a relatively level playing field, which is everybody's playing a deck that isn't you know featuring a bunch of bad cards. So assuming that all the decks are actually viable. Mm-hmm. And built to the best of the ability, or at least built with other, you know, full-on lists being posted somewhere else, and there aren't any like glaring mistakes in deck building. From that point on, um, which to me is—I've said this before—which is probably like half the battle. Like of the half that's left over, if you—if we assume that first half is equal for everybody, and everybody starts out on that playing field, then really what we're left with a majority is going to be play skill, which to me can make up you know, 25 to 30% of a bad matchup in your favor, which would, by definition, just basically get you from like a 80-20 deficit all the way to a 50-50, which comes down to not coin flips, but like, you know, decisions and and what you draw and and, and the typical card game things. And, and there's just so many decisions to make in this game that I feel like play scale is just so much more important than any other factor. Again, assuming everyone built their deck correctly, I'd say you could just show up like with whatever and just outplay people. Like there still has to be some level to it, but play scale can certainly make up for a bad matchup. Certainly. And it can certainly do the opposite and hurt you in a good matchup. Um, so that being said, it to me still comes down to what are you comfortable with? Like I didn't play aerial bots on the day because I thought a lot of people would show up with insecticons. I play aerial bots on the day because I'm trying to find a deck that I, a deck and a deck style that I feel comfortable with considering I had this event. I have another event on June 2nd. I'm planning, hopefully, if there's going to be events at Origins, I'm planning on going to that. This is all going to be part of a, like an end of Wave 2 metagame going on, and I'm trying to get mm-hmm. myself comfortable with one deck style. Like, it just happened. To, I mean, not it just happened, but it also worked out that like I had a lot of good <laughs> matchups because a lot of people. Oh, and by the style, way, but, <laughs> it's a good yeah. matchup. <laughs> 
Right. But um, to, to but, your point, if you're, and I think everybody by now is going to recognize that you're one of, if not the strongest player in the game, that you know the deck well, you're going to minimize play mistakes. So even if it was a whole bunch of bad matchups, you can play yourself out of it. I would hope so. I want to be. I would. I want to be put in that situation to to be able to try it. Well, um, but yes. I mean, you you can watch me play. I, I mean, I know I make mistakes. And at least, I mean, the Metroplex matchup didn't matter, and I really didn't feel like playing it after a while. But um, <laughs> Metroplex does that drawn, to people. <laughs> Shout out to Kyle. Because <laughs> we had drawn, and like it, the match didn't really matter, and I, I knew that it was like an uphill battle for me completely. Like, mm-hmm. even though I did take a game. Um, but like I know I make mistakes in the in Insecticon's top four matchup, throwing away game one that I should have easily won, considering how far ahead I was. Which I think just shows you mm. what happened in this game and the razor's edge and you're playing on. Complacency is a killer. Reason, <laughs> like well, well, overconfidence. The the, I mean, the reason that you're favored in a matchup is is that you play the matchup correctly. So like if you were if you were to say that you're a sixty forty favor or even like a seventy thirty favor, which I think is like like maybe 75 25 is the highest you can really ever get in this game mm-hmm. that's assuming that both players are actually playing correctly but you can see that in and if you really want to digest the entire tournament you know um and if you want to come to our patreon i can digest it for you no. <laughs> um uh, you know there's mistakes that are made where like you know a flip is done incorrectly or an attack is done incorrectly and the entire match swings on that because right you know, a character is exposed to more attacks or like I flipped a silver bolt incorrectly and it wound up costing me having to attack with my combiner against Scrap, Scrap Null in extra time instead of just attacking with a random dunk against him in extra time. Yeah. Because that one damage equates to an, to an attack because I didn't draw like a Harbourcraft or something like that. So like, that's the point is like, you can't, you can't depend on things to just work out for you from a, from what you're going to draw perspective because you just don't draw enough cards in this game or have enough actions to actually make up for that fact. So mm-hmm. you just have to so you have to play with what's available to you. And what's available to you is the characters that are in play, your opening hand, your flips, things that you have full information about and you can't mess up the the plays that are right there in front of you or right. else you're just going to be behind losing the onboard um, tricks, so to speak. Right. Yeah, that's I mean that's a, that's the best example you I like in other games that that would yeah. be the equivalent of that but the problem is, is like the whole game is basically like that right. it's not it's not a game of hidden information as much as magic and other games are because so much of your characters is is what you're dealing with but what you're saying is correct like you just yeah. can't make mistakes based on what you can see on the table like somebody watching the game shouldn't be able to in other games people watching the game can't just say you made this mistake very obviously because it's it's a game of unknown information right in this game if they're noticing that you're making mistakes based on things in play like how you're attacking or how you're flipping then then you're not playing it correctly and then so back to your original question yeah assuming that you're going to play whatever the the anti meta you expect deck as well as something that may have a slightly worse matchup sure i just don't know that like or, or it just doesn't matter. You're like you're just you're 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 new enough, or you're not comfortable with it, with 100 percent comfortable with anything. So you you can try to pick up whatever you want. Then it's a viable strategy. But it's not a viable strategy, in my opinion, to switch your entire play style and switch to another deck because you think it has a perceived matchup against what you think is going to show up, and you're not as good playing that deck. So yeah, there's certainly a trade-off the there thing. that you have to be cognizant of that. 
the familiarity, the experience with a given strategy or whether it's an, an archetype or a specific deck or just a, a certain play pattern. You know, if you're always an aggro player, but you decide that you don't want to play aggro mirrors, you're going to switch to aerial bots. There's a there's a lot of there's a big knowledge gap there that you're going to have to make up for if you're just picking the day the deck up the day of. Yeah, I mean, like the decks play out completely different. Like if you're if you're depending on oh, you know, I'm just going to attack and and you know, I'm used to like you know, it's not just playing it's not just even just playing aggro decks. It's like I'm used to doing X amount of damage more than my characters attack because i usually play orange decks or something like that like yeah that's not going to happen when you're when you're playing some of these other decks it's not because they're blue it's because of the way they're built in general that can just happen no matter what the build is it's just we're just talking about two extremes right yeah. now but well the um, funny part about that and not to cut you off but the, the no, no. funny part about that to me in general is like you say that and i said something similar but it sounds ridiculous because it's like well yeah if i go from an orange deck to a blue deck that's not going to boost my attack. And it's something that going in, you're going to realize, but it really does impact the way you calculate math on a given attack or how you're calculating how many turns. So it's not the the immediate calculation of, well, I attack in, I'm going to do three instead of five or five instead of seven or, you know, whatever it is, or they're going to only going to hit me for two instead of four, whatever the math works out. It's then extrapolating that to how many turns does that buy me? How many turns, like, will I get there with five attacks into their Optimus because all of my, my aerial bot dorks are, you know, sneezing at him, essentially, like, barely doing anything. Um, right. And it does change ex- what you said, keeping an eye on what's on the board and appropriately utilizing the few hidden resources that you have. Because that's a mistake I know I've made playing aerial bots is just expending resources when oh, well, I always want to play two cards a turn, but that's not necessarily the timing that it wants kind of thing. Cor- correct. So, it, it, like I said, the, my point is, is that it sounds obvious, and it may sound silly to anybody out there watching or listening to this to say, well, well duh, what are those two idiots saying? Of course, if you change from orange to blue or blue to orange, it's going to change the math. No one's saying that you're not going to see that, but you do have to take it a step further and look at, okay, what? how does that materially impact my play pattern? How does that material impact my long-term strategy in each given matchup? And that's where it's one of those subtle things that, you know, subconsciously you're going to probably go, oh, well, I can just do this and autopilot yourself to a loss because, you know, you're just in the mindset from another deck or another game. Right, and I'm not saying that even one style is harder or easier to play oh, than another. Like, absolutely, to be yeah. honest with you. I don't want because I don't want people to think that because like the, what what's also true on the opposite side is like let's just say you're playing an extremely heavy aggro deck like um like Insecticons, just as the opposite, for example. Right, the situation you're in there is quite different than I mean, obviously quite obviously quite different than, than the Aerobot deck because. But, but the, what's really different there is you can't really expect to get multiple hits in with your characters. So yeah. you have to make sure you're extracting mo- maximum value out of every attack because that character probably isn't going to survive to another attack. That would obviously mean you're just going to lose. But I mean, like, I, that's just the, the mindset you have to go in with is that I have to get as much value out of this time that I actually get an extra attack. With certain characters, I have to adjust my style accordingly. 
Mm-hmm. And that's just a different mindset than like, oh, um, you know, I have this tough two guy with eight health and three attack. I'm sure he's going to survive like 10 hits. Like, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> he'll I don't live like, you know, forever. Whatever. <laughs> right. Like, like it's, it's just a totally different mentality. So like who you dangle out there to attack with becomes just as important because that guy's then obviously going to be attacked back more often. Right. So like you have to make sure that his first attack matters. Absolutely. Um, it's not just as simple as like make sure you attack with a damage guy with barrage. Like you know, it, it's more complicated than that. Yes. Um, because you have to be planning for situations like that. Like if barrage isn't going to get his bold because you killed the only available characters that have damage on them, his attack isn't going to be as effective, and he's probably like you could just lose the game right there because you're not getting the extra damage you actually need to get in. Um, in certain matchups, and and it's 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 especially important in like aggro mirrors. To make sure that you're attacking in the right order and getting the most value out of your guys, etc. Like, it, no matter which side you're playing or which deck archetype you're playing, like the game is just not forgiving enough to allow you to make up for a lot of mistakes because oh, there's just sure. not a lot of I win scenarios that just go on. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, if, 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 I guarantee you that, like, I mean, everybody can improve their game, myself included. Like, I mean, I'm telling you, you can watch me on camera, make mistakes. Um, in these matchups. Um, so there's always room to improve. And like, so, you know, you really got to understand like why something is a mistake, not like that. It was a mistake. It's like, why? Oh, 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 sorry. Well, it was, it was just funny because they started going nuts and then you cut out immediately. I'm like, Oh, yeah, no. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> no, I just got up. Okay. So move, move away from them. The furry friends are never happy if if you migrate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, your point is, I guess, to not force you to wrap that one up. I did have a couple of other questions I wanted to ask you, sure. but go ahead, continue. Yeah. Or did you have anything else you wanted to add to that one? Not to that. I mean, okay. Just, so I mean, we could talk about that forever. But I mean, oh that's yeah. The general crux of like everything in the game, to be honest right. with you. But. So I did have some specific questions for people that may be more interested in. Okay, well, the, there are some oddities with the deck lists themselves one of them was yours it, so the the triple enigmas do you feel one of the conversations that happened offline at the event was the uh i guess the waning power level of espionage in general or the, the waning ubiquity of espionage do you feel that aerial bots moving forward still needs like you must have three enigmas i think you need three enigmas because you're not fi- you're not favored off the bat um, in the Sentinel matchup because uh-huh. of the Mirage situation and the set, and the fact that Espionage is still really good for them. Yes. Um, so it's a concession to basically want to have two of them in your hand when you when you need them. Mm-hmm. So that's why that's why there's three of them in there. Um, but to be honest with you, if you watch, especially like my finals match, like that Enigma did work after yeah. I was combined. Like so, it wasn't irrelevant. So it wasn't really a dead card. It's obviously just dead during combat. Um, but its ability wasn't dead as the one damage across the board. So like, I don't mind having three. It's not simply a concession to all the discard, but in terms of espionage, like you said, yes. Um, I mean, when you have two in hand, like you actually see this on video, like it doesn't even matter on my opponent espionage because like, what are they going to, they take one? Like, what is it like, which choice do they have, but to try to hit the one that they know I have without knowing I had a second or, why they might not even play it knowing I have to if they 
tracked it throughout the, the game. Right. So, you know, in the beginning of the meta, it was a lot different where people were playing, like, two Enigmas, and you could just spike a, an espionage and just get one. Yep. Um, this, I mean, I still think you can do that in an extent, especially if you're playing, like, Optimus. Um because over the course of two turns you might be able to get it you might be able to get that done or if you're playing mirage and things like that and do do two in a turn yeah so it's not like it's not like a guarantee yeah but if you really demolish their or have the ability to demolish their hand it makes sense yeah but when you're playing a defensive style deck with with a bunch of tough armor you have a better chance of drawing of, of the enigma flipping during combat on defense anyway right. which is exactly when like the turn you want to combine you want no enigma in hand you want at least you like you want a couple cards in hand, and you want to flip the enigma on defense. Yeah, they have no have, say in the matter, right? So that's the situation you want to be in, and like obviously, honestly, like as you cycle through your deck, that's also fine. Like they'll all be in there. You know, if you, if the deck turns over at least once, they'll all be in there. It's not a big deal. Yep. Um, so having three of them just gives you more opportunity to to put yourself in that situation. So that's that's another reason. Like it's not just that espionage became irrelevant because you're running three enigmas or vice versa, but also running three enigmas just allows you to put yourself in that defensive combat flip enigma situation. Gotcha. One other thing that I had noticed for your particular build uh, is the inclusion of more pep talks, which I know you've said in the past that you weren't excited about, uh, and I think we've talked about aerial bots in general with relation to pep talk. But this time around, you you had split the vaporizes into vaporize and smelt. You added some extra pep talks. Any thoughts on like? Do you think that's appropriate going forward? Was it just something you were trying out, or I only think it's appropriate because there's nothing better right now, which is reasonable. Um, <laughs> I mean, like all the other cards I'd want to run would be orange. Like it would be treasure hunt, or it would be. Mm-hmm. I guess it would probably just treasure hunt if I had like any, or it would be like confidence. Like it would be one of the because that will allow you to get to a thing, but. Mm-hmm. and things like that like it would be cards i don't want to run from the pip perspective um so what the, what people don't understand about this deck in general and i would argue probably with like any combiner deck or really like i guess any four wide deck also but definitely like definitely in the combiner decks it's like you're gonna run out of cards very rapidly for sure so especially if you feel it's appropriate to play an action and, and an upgrade on a few turns. Like, but most people are just used to doing that because they're used to playing smaller character decks. Right. So the habit is to do that, even though you really can't afford to waste them at times. So pep talk is a safe play. It's just like you're just gaining card advantage. Like you just trade your one card in hand for two more unknowns. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they're not good, you just use them to go get the greens that you flip over and just improve your hand quality. It's just a safe play. Right. Um, just to, to use your action to play pep dog. And it acts, quote, half a, a treasure hunt. Like, it, it can dig me to upgrades. Because usually you want to play an upgrade every turn because most of them are impactful, than more impactful than some of the actions are. So you generally want to use... I, I still think using your actions to draw into upgrades is correct. And... I think getting the card advantage out of pep talk because there's so many greens in the deck is more important than like the sifting ability of inspiring leadership in this situation. I don't think it's always as important, but it is in this situation. And that makes sense. That's logical. 
Uh, so those are the, the major things that I wanted to point out on your build. Was there anything else that you wanted to volunteer, I guess, since uh, you had taken it on the day? Um, I mean, I continue to run like a lot of direct damage. I still think that's correct, even though obviously things like marksmanship are weak in the Sentinels matchup where you're already kind of weak. Mm. Um, I guess I guess my main thing is I try to run as many greens in my deck as I feel can make up for my Dead cards, cards I have in the deck that are bad in certain matchups. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So I feel like the deck had enough of that. And obviously you need to get enigmas um, where you, and like nobles blaster is fine. Um, yeah. So, and like, that's why I continue to play the one press the advantage, for example, because again, it's always an active card and I, like I'd rather have a press the advantage against Sentinels than a marksmanship. So like I can just make that swap when they, when it comes up and go get it. Right. Makes sense. So that's where that came from. Cool. Uh, so moving from there for the other lists that happened to top four, um, notably Insecticons have moved away. So we started out with Ransack and Wave 1. We moved away to Chop Shop in the beginning, middle of Wave 2, and now it seems to be cycling back. In speaking with everybody, it's mostly a response again to Sentinels now or other aggressive decks in general. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on there? Because it, for the most part, I, I mean, it, at least to me, like Insecticons are kind of the pinnacle of the aggro deck. So it almost, I get the logic, but I, I don't know personally, and I'll openly admit my ignorance on this, how many percentage points it gains on that swap. Obviously, it improves it, but is it worth doing that and then sacrificing it against those other matchups where you may need a, a little bit extra of a boost? So the way I understand it, I'm not the expert, but is it gives you a character, as I spoke earlier, that you can just dangle out there to be attacked that you actually want to be attacked. Yep. And can stay in alt mode and be attacked because he's eventually going to get into bot mode and want to attack in that mode sometime during the, the match. It doesn't have to, I mean, and it's you don't want it to be right away. Mm. So it saves you a flip. Um, it saves you, it can absorb attacks like not as efficiently as like Scrapnel absorbs attacks, but like he and obviously he can just randomly die. But yeah, but you want him to take a hit usually and then be able to attack back during the next cycle because if he takes two hits during the first cycle, like you're way ahead because he's just kind of insignificant. Mm. Which Chop Chop is kind of insignificant too. Like it doesn't really matter. But you also get really funny stuff with uh, I still function with Ransack as well compared to Chop Shop. Yeah, you could do cute things with Chop Shop, maybe move something or I think his other side heals stuff. I I don't even remember. It's one of those things that so rarely comes up. Um, The key for Chop Shop against control decks is that you get mm -hmm. double use out of your upgrades. Yeah. So it, it smooths out your bad hands by allowing him to attack after another guy has already attacked with an upgrade on him. And because the orange upgrades are just so much are so powerful right now with there just being so many three damage or more ones yeah. that are synergistic in that deck and specifically with him that like it really helps you in the it helps I wouldn't say it really helps you because you're still not favored but it helps you more in the in the blue matchups in the combiner matchups because it makes your attacks be more relevant out of two characters guaranteed because right. he goes basically from a four to a seven. Um, whereas Ransack isn't going to get that value, but Ransack has more value in the aggro matchups. Right. So that is a pure concession to a metagame call. Um, but but I, in talking to Mark um, afterwards, he doesn't think necessarily that like 
that makes a difference in the control matchups where you should just go back if you feel like the control matchups go to change. But I'm not the I'm not the expert on that, so I can't say. That's fair, and I'm sure we can uh, either he'll do a, a write up or have other thoughts down the line a, about it. Um, since he we is did, kind we, of a bug man, we did a post ma- uh, a tournament wrap up that we haven't as of recording we're, we we right. haven't released yet, but we plan to. So like we I asked him that question so he can explain it better than I can. Makes sense. Yeah, they, as I was saying, he's he's kind of the bug man, so <laughs> we'll we'll leave it yeah. to the experts on this one. Yeah. Um. So one of the other things that Top Ford was everyone's favorite Metroplex, the uh, the Titan that I've said it before. I I really think that Metroplex is a thing in Wave Two. Uh, we'll see if come Wave Three if he still continues to be. So it's good to see him showing up again. There's been a variety of builds, and this one in particular is a little bit different. Uh, Kyle was running something certainly different from what I typically run, and I've seen other ones floating around. There, there seem to be a lot of different takes, obviously all centering around the abilities, and it seemed to carry him pretty well through the day. Scott, you had mentioned that he... Well, you re- you played against him in, in air quotes, meaningless end of Swiss round, and then I believe he played Optimus three wide in the top four, correct? Uh, he lost, yeah, he lost a three wide Optimus specialist. Right. Yeah. So, any thoughts on Metroplex? Because, like I said, I think the, the deck is viable. It's just, for me personally, even though I have done well with it, and again, with a slightly different version, or maybe significantly different version, I'd have to sit down and go card for card. There are... <laughs> The times where you, you know, you have like bold six and still whiff are so soul crushing to me that I don't know if I can play it going forward. Would you ever consider playing this thing, Scott? Or do you have any thoughts on whether you think it really is a thing or is this a flash in a pan? No, it's a thing because he, he beat at least, I think, two Insecticon decks, I want to say, which I would think mm-hmm. would not be a great matchup. Um, but I, but I'm sure he did. So like that to me says that like, there's a place where, I mean, you're at the end of the day, you're, you're always just attacking for like eight or nine anyway, even if you don't get the ability. Right. Um, but I can tell you like as a combiner player on the day, like it's just so weird when you look down and all of a sudden (laughs) like two of your guys are flipped and you feel like you're on like turn seven. Like you're just like, what, where, where is this game going? Like, yeah, like. I haven't done anything. Like my guys aren't dying necessarily, but like I haven't advanced my board at all. Yeah, and it's just like so. Like, what am I doing here? Like, I, there's like I'm just getting like, oh, he has three damage on him. Like, like this is just ridiculous. Like, I haven't done anything, and like I can't even combine if I wanted to. Like, I flipped over my entire deck. Like, it makes the green situation awkward because like I get five attacks in a row, and suddenly I'm staring at like sixteen cards gone from my library. Yeah, it's just weird. Like, so like I think I think there's a lot to that. Like, still, like I think it still presents an a, like a weird play pattern. Right. I don't know how it is in the Sentinels matchup, but I do know that Kyle plays the deck really well. Like he told me specifically yeah. on the day because we talked a lot because our match, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Not that we wouldn't talk anyway, but like, um, <laughs> he he basically said that he changed the way he played in terms of like if he didn't have um a flip effect out of hand he just didn't flip like he never wanted to be in the city mode unless he was immediately getting back to the bot mode and he wasn't right. just sacrificing the little guys 
you know, he was using their ability to give him bold or using Scamper's ability to destroy an, an upgrade. Like, he was... He, he said he was just playing it, like, more, like, I guess, I don't know, better, I guess you would say. Like, it's a different way of playing. Like, he has less flip effects than what the typical Metroplex deck has. Mm-hmm. But in reality, in his opinion, which he said, like, he only needs three of them throughout the game. And he can always just take a turn to get one guy out, be in city mode, and then attack with that guy. Like, yeah. it's not the biggest deal in the world. Um... So I think he just, he told me he played it differently to where he tried to maximize that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and he played a lot of green um, upgrades. So it, like he always, it always seemed like he had a backup game in hand. He always seemed like, or he had like a sparring gear. Like he always had relevant upgrades in play. Yep. Um, you know, he was able to fit in supercharges and obviously hundred advantages. So like he had a lot of ways of the only thing I'll say, um, his deck was very hand-dependent, it seemed. Mm-hmm. So, like, the game I won, if you were to watch it, like, he had no cards in hand. And at that point, it was like, okay, I've survived this storm. Now it's my turn to go on the offensive because he has no way of catching back up. Yeah. He is so running... now all of a sudden... Like, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, so now it's like if I kill that backup beam, he can't get another one back if he flips it during combat, for example. Yeah. Because he has no cards in hand. So. so he notably does, and there are a few things that I wanted to include in my list, and I'm I was still tinkering around with numbers. So he does have confidence. For example, it, you're going to need extra cards in hand, but it allows you to go dig for the relevant, the most probably the most important card in the deck, height advantage. Like right, because height advantage virtually, obviously not completely, guarantees a trigger, which is super important. But to your point about him being able to refill, he is also running work overtime. So there is an out, but it, you know, you got to find them. <laughs> you have to have them to actually get there. Uh, and I think that is, it's one of the problems with Metroplex is, okay, well, if you if you get it, you get it. But if you don't, well, the deck does one thing very well, <laughs> and it has to be able to do that thing. Yeah, I, I I don't know like I don't know how it is in certain matchups. Like I don't think he would be favored in the Sentinel matchup, but I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. It kind of did. I mean, I haven't played. Mirage seems devastating. So what I was that? Mirage like Mirage Combat Command seems like you just I don't know. Right, and oddly enough, Prowl's flip if he dies True. is more relevant yep. because backup beams like you said yes he can get them back but he has to be able to do that and if you can you know weather the storm as you were describing then it may not be able to get there there's it's interesting because they're the things like backup beams the the, a lot of the deck is independent of bashing shield you know yes there are force fields and he happens to be running sparring gears Again, another green that he can go get it if he feels that it's appropriate. It's it does it attacks on so many strange axes compared to standard stuff, which you know makes sense given that it's Metroplex. But that makes the game weird enough from the moment go that I think that's an inherent advantage to the deck anyway. The Metroplex player. I'm willing to wager has significantly more experience with any sort of matchup than the other player playing into Metroplex. Very true. Very so true. Uh, it does add something to your earlier point about being comfortable with a given deck as opposed to just, well, this is the best deck. This is the best meta call. 
Or you could play Metroplex and you know your deck and you're going to beat people because they're not prepared for these certain situations. Yeah, we don't have time to go into it now mm. for the sake of time because it's a very long topic. But like, because the Reddit game is because the metagame is not a rock, paper, scissors, it's not like Metroplex is something off in left field. Like, it's yeah. a large, <clears throat> let's just say like six to eight deck meta because of the way the game is organized and like the deck certainly has a place in it where it's i don't know what its matchups are because i don't play against it often enough but like it's definitely favored in certain matchups and an underdog probably in other ones um like i know it's really bad against double primes but i know it's really obviously really good against you know insecticons and other and seems to be against combiner decks and things like that so Mm -hmm. Um, it certainly has a place where you can figure out like how to improve it in certain matchups, and it's definitely a viable contender. Absolutely. So uh, to round out the top four, and then we'll, unless you had any other thoughts after the top four, nope. we'll, we'll move into uh, spoilers after that, everybody. Uh, so stay tuned for part two. But rounding out the top four was uh, Adam Bixler running three wide Optimus, but the specialist version as opposed to the ranged version. So in this particular case, He's got Flame War and Sunstreaker uh, running alongside the obvious Optimus Prime Battlefield legend. So, for me personally, I like the range version, but it was interesting. We had sat down before the event. I was talking to Adam and everybody else, and he said, oh, you're running three wide. And I'm like, yeah, because, you know, I happened to pick it up and I wanted to try it today. And he said, well, I am too. I'm like, okay, that's going to be awkward when we inevitably play. And spoiler alert, we did. Um <laughs> And he says, okay, well, I'll try this other thing so that we can, you know, see how all of them play out. And it seemed to have done pretty well for him. So he's sporting the multi-mission gears and field communicators as opposed to a more burn-heavy package that the ranged selection offers. Do you feel that this is the the way you would go, Scott? I mean, I know your affinity for burn spells, but had, did this win you over? No. Okay. Um... <laughs> I'm not saying it's not viable. I think I think I think what I would what I would change about this list is I think he just doesn't have enough card draw to take advantage of it. So if you're going to play multi mission gear in a control deck, mm-hmm. if you're going to play field communicator in a control deck, you need to be running more pure card draw effects. Whether it's more treasure hunts, whether it's more pep talks, whether like inspire again, you need to be gaining card advantage type cards mm-hmm. um, because like playing multi mission gear without like being an all-in aggro deck, like I'm going to play multi-mission gear, I'm going to play two pump spells, you know, two pump actions for the turn. Like I'm going to play like double leap or something like that. Like you can do that. It's just very hard to do that when you don't have a, um, so usually what you want to do is I'm going to use my multi-mission gear to set up my second action, which you would do through card draw. Um, so I just think you, you need more of that. I also don't necessarily know that like, even though I love Field Communicator, like decks like this have a play pattern where they don't necessarily need to play multiple things in a turn. Like they're not playing, and, and this is like like if they were, if it was playing Intelligence Mission, I would say like that's a card that should probably go in there, even though it seems odd in a three character list because that's something you want a Field Communicator off of, and it's like okay, I'll tap my Flame War because she's irrelevant anyway, unless you have a bigger they are or. Sunstreeters is exactly the same way. Like the yeah. other two characters in either three wide optimist list don't really do a whole hell of a lot unless you have ways to make them relevant, which is usually bigger they are. Mm. Um, 
or other guaranteed damage type effects, which obviously happen more in the ranged version. So I would be playing things like Intelligence Mission, or I'd be playing things like more pep talks and things like that. So I'm not saying the deck's not viable. I just think it needs more card draw in its current incarnation because you're playing so, because the point of playing specialist is to be able to play multiple things in a turn. And that puts too much pressure on your hand in a deck like this that is pretty much, well, is definitely all in on one character. Right, right. So that's I can how see I that. see it. No, that makes sense. Uh, it's definitely something that I've wanted to try, so I was glad that we did have that conversation beforehand where it's like, oh, well, I'll just play this other version. Uh, it, because it. I love Field Communicator as well. It just is fun. It's a fun card to play. Uh, and it... It feels as though there are legs there, but I leaned into the the ranged version just because I love marksmanship more than I love field communicator, despite the uh, the disadvantage against sentinels. But um, it's an interesting thought. I I like where the deck is going, and I I think some of the suggestions you made are are piquing my interest. So good. I guess from there, any other thoughts on the event as a whole, or any other things moving forward that we we should expect either from like. Are you planning on playing aerial bots again? Spoiler. Or uh, do you think that it's not a good call? Or do you think there's something else that should have shown up sort of thing? I mean, I'm pretty... Other than... Like, I understand the mistakes I've made. So I think I understand... Go on. So, like, I'm comfortable playing it, actually. I plan to continue to play it. And, like, I don't mind who knows. Or I don't care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. So, you know, like it's a come at me, bro. Is that still a no, thing? I, that, that hasn't been a thing in years, has it? <laughs> it's, it's been old, I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's I'm used to playing decks that have like the the every move matters because you just have so few ways of actually dealing damage and things like that, and that's mm-hmm. why it appeals to me. So, right. Um, there's little things like you know. I have to get used to like not combining as soon as I'm able to, but sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong, etc. So makes sense. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of math. Like, because you who do you attack? Where do you point all your damage? It should all be the same. Like, for example. So right. Like, like you said, it, it's if every point of damage matters, you don't really have a whole lot of room to waste anything. So right, including uh, especially attacks or especially like exactly your big damage cards that you have, like Inferno <laughs> Breath and stuff. <laughs> the the three, yeah. It's yeah, just funny thinking big, about it's, it. It's yeah, it is. It is. It's just funny to think about. Um, yeah. So other than that, I was, I'm not surprised to, to circle it back to what we started out with the, the way people were trying to attack the meta as a whole. And um, it made sense to me, like logically, okay, well, Sentinels is showing up everywhere. I'll play the anti-deck. Uh, Insecticons is a, a reasonable deck to play anyway even if you made the incorrect call. Um, And to your point earlier, maybe the familiarity was there, so it was an easier choice. Uh, I didn't get the opportunity to speak with everybody that was there, but I'm curious to see how things continue to evolve because now that we've had so much time under our belts from Wave 2, it's in that stage where, okay, people can make these sort of decisions in a more educated fashion as opposed to just a few weeks ago, it felt like we were saying, well, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what shows up, sort of thing. Yeah, so. we can say that because we have a we have a dearth of events. I, I can't promise that to everybody, so that's why I to say play what you're most comfortable with and play what you feel like you have an advantage with. Because oh, absolutely. You may not have as many events to go to as we do. So, of course. So, uh, well, 
Scott, unless you had any other thoughts, I think that'll wrap it up for the event coverage, and we're going to move into Section 2 shortly. Anything else you wanted to add? Nope. Cool. Thanks again right. to Top Deck for hosting. So next yes. time is on June... I think it's June 22nd because of Origins. It was moved back a week, so... Well, check the calendar on VectorSigma.info. I'm, I'm sure Scott already has it up there, or if not, by the time yep. this goes live, it'll be there, so... Yeah, it's, it's up there. Yep. Cool. So, uh, all right, everybody... We appreciate you watching. We appreciate you listening. And please stay tuned for part two.